0: Hello and welcome to the Sacketier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ollie McBurney to my and Dye. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you doing?
1: I'm really good i'm I'm very good again and I'm, I'm trying not to make it sort of a a weather focused intro, but my God, is it humid, and my God, am I sweating almost every second of the day profusely? It's a lot of information to share, but I feel like I need to vent it because it's been an uncomfortable day or two trying to get to sleep. I think
0: hey, I'm all here for it. Do you not have an air conditioned office?
1: no surprisingly not my my two bed terrace house in Derby does not have an air conditioned office. Ah, you're still working from home, are you? Okay, that that
0: won't help <laughs> things, will it? Well, in that case, then of course you're going to be sweating your bollocks off every single day, Justin.
1: Well, yeah, and well, even at, even at bedtime, my again, my my thirty-five pound fan from an unnamed provider of fans, which is also a tool shop. Um, this isn't try not to see, mate. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know why. I just it's from Tool Station. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not doing the job. Surprisingly enough. Hmm. Well, I, I tell you one thing that I um,
0: discovered over the summer to keep yourself cool when you're going to sleep is sticking an ice pack
1: on the inside That's of nonsense. your wrist. All oh, right, no, I'm sorry, no, no, no. sorry, yeah, yeah, no, sorry. I thought you were going to say in front of a fan. I, I jumped ahead of you. No, no, okay. no, no, no. I, I can't feel that myself
0: either. But if you put it on the inside of your wrist, then it helps you feeling cool because um, I think I'm right in saying kangaroos. When they try to keep cool, they lick the inside of their wrists um, because it's like a pressure point. So if you do that with a pack of ice, then it keeps your body cool. Why don't you just lick the inside of
1: your wrist rather than having to go and get ice? Because it's more extreme, isn't it? If it's good enough for kangaroos, what's wrong? Yeah, why don't you try it? I'll try both. Come back to me and let me know how you get on. Okay, why not?
0: Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is a midweek edition of the second tier where we're looking ahead to the coming games in the second tier this weekend we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days as well and then finish off with a little game we like to call diddy or didn't he but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at fans bet the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200 sports deposit bonus of up to 200 pounds and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly visit bgambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fans Bet responsible gambling tools so let's kick things off in our championship weekend preview Justin with the game on Friday night it's Luton v Sheffield United the battle of the two teams Justin and I had second in our league table predictions Luton got their first win at the weekend and I imagine Justin very confident that Nathan Jones would do
1: anything to build upon that result. Nathan Jones will do anything to get a win. He'll kick someone's grandmother downstairs to yeah. get three he, points. He takes
0: you've got to die to get three <laughs> points to a whole new level, doesn't he? I don't Absolutely. want to know what Nathan Jones will do to get three points.
1: And there you go. It's, yeah, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's a very near one thing. But it's a good thing. Um, and as you say he will do he will do anything to build upon that build upon that form coming into this game against Sheffield United and I think it, getting three points will make teams stand up again and take Luton seriously because Sheffield United start to the season has been very good I know they started with a defeat to Watford on the opening day but it wasn't a bad performance it was a it was a good performance by all means um, and they've built upon that and, and improved and arguably are the team to beat at the moment in the, in the championship so yeah Nathan Jones will be wanting to do absolutely anything to get three points here. And I think, as I say, that could inject a lot of life into their season after what has been quite a um, slumber start to the season, I'll, I'll put I'll
0: put in there. Sheffield United are obviously top of the league, aren't they? Without a doubt, the standout team in the division for me, not just in, in terms of where they are on the table, with the results they've had, but also with the performances. They aside from that Watford game on the first day of the season, have been the better team in pretty much every game. And that Blackburn win at the weekend was the best performance I've seen from a team this season. They was just completely dominant. Blackburn offered next to nothing. And Sheffield United probably could have, on another day, maybe could have scored more than five. It was that one-sided. But Sheffield United and Paul Hacking Bottom just need to make sure they can keep this momentum going, don't they? A lot easier said than done. But even just a good performance... And avoiding a loss would make that continue for me. Luton are without a doubt a better side than their results suggest. Not just in terms of the squad they've got, but the performances too. They've been quite unfortunate so far, I think. And if Sheffield United were to get a point here, I'd say that's a decent result. Based on how they've played so far, Paul Heckenbottom would obviously fancy their chances of getting a win. But Luton are a good side and need I remind you that they've only lost twice at home in the league this year too. So, Kenilworth Road, as we all know, is a tricky place to go at the best of times. And this is only going to be a really, really tricky game for Sheffield United to get three points from. And that's why I think a point wouldn't be a bad result and just keep that momentum going.
1: Yeah, you put it perfectly. I I do think um, Hacking Bottom going to Kenilworth Road and coming away with a point, at least a point, would be a huge, huge plus for, for, um, for Sheffield United because Luton are going to take... Points off teams you've 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 noted their unbeaten run uh, at home or sorry their their record at home. Um, it's a it's a hugely positive one, and I know Sheffield United can be hit and miss at times away from home. Their home record, like Luton, is is absolutely fantastic, but they do struggle to replicate those home performances on the road, which isn't a a massive thing. Not many teams can do that. But if you are looking to win the title, or finish in the top two, you've got to do that um, more often, but they've got 10 points from 12, they've scored two or more in the last four games, um, it's a really good time for Sheffield United, so saying that, I wouldn't be surprised if they come away with three points, because you've got Sheffield United who are being very clinical at the moment, Luton is still going through the motions, um, I know they got that, that, that win, but it's it's a tough game to come into straight off the back of a, 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 a win against uh, Swansea.
0: It certainly is. Justin, can I get a score prediction from
1: you? I, th- I think it'll be 2-1 to Sheffield United.
0: I will go one all. I think it will be a draw, but the most likely team to win it would probably be Sheffield United, just because they're in such imperious form at the moment. In the early kick-off on Saturday, it's the Alex Neil derby, Sunderland v Norwich. Interesting, isn't it, as Norwich have started to pick up, but can they keep it up, Justin Peach?
1: I think it's a difficult game, um, to, to try and do it. Um and much like Sheffield United Luton, I, I don't think coming away from uh, the Stadium alight with a, at least a point for um for Dean Smith's side, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um it's gonna be a tricky, tricky trip for them. Um and as you say, it's the early kickoff as well, and early kickoffs are always tight games. Um they're very rarely they're very rarely open. Um and I think that's going kind to of lead into it somewhat. But then again, at the same time, you've got Josh Sargent, who's been resurgent. Um, he's looked really, really sharp in the last two games. Um, you've got Nunez coming in as well, who's who's added a spark and Sinani as well in that in that final third. Um, and and they're looking they're looking very very neat defensively and obviously going forward they're creating chances. So it's a very nice blend. But you're coming up against the Sunderland side who Norwich fans will know a lot about in terms of how Alex Neil sets his teams up. They're going to be hard to break down, they're going to be hard to beat and they're going to hit you on the counter-attack. They did a really good job of, of that against Stoke as soon as they went 1-0 up. Stoke barely offered anything of any interest in, to talk about. They, they were quite blunt and know it's Stoke and it's not quite Norwich um, but it was still a really good away performance and they are a much better side at home, much like a lot of teams in the division.
0: Yeah, well, one interesting aspect is that they've lost both away games and have picked up seven points from a possible nine at home. So I think one thing Dean Smith won't want to happen this season is for them to have a big contrast between their homo and away form. So this will be a big test of that particular aspect. They only picked up 10 points away from home last season, the lowest in the Premier League. So it's something he's definitely struggled with. So far in his time as Norwich boss, and if Norwich are going to be contenders for the top two that many people are tipping them to be, it needs to be sorted out ASAP, doesn't it? Going to the Stadium Alight, that's always going to be a tricky journey, isn't it? Not just because it's bloody miles away, but because it's Sunderland and they've had the biggest attendances in yeah. every home game so far this season. The fans are buzzing right now because of the way the club's being run. They're riding the crest of a wave, aren't they, Sunderland? And only the one loss, that was away way at Sheffield United when they were down to 10 men for two-thirds mm-hmm. of the game. So, yeah, they're, they're just a side that are just loving life right now. They'll be feeling like the sky's the limit. And, of course, it helps when you've got players like Ross Stewart, who's in brilliant form right now. That will only add encouragement because he's been unreal as well as, you know, Ellis Sims, Jack Clark. These players have all been starting off the season really, really well in a red and white shirt. So I think it's a really tricky game to call, Justin. Which way are you going?
1: I'm sitting on the fence of it. I think that left-hand side for Sunderland is going to be problematic because you've got Max Ahrens, who's a very experienced wing-back, against Jack Clark, who's an inexperienced wing-back. And that will open up a lot of avenues for for Norwich, I think. Um, So I think it'll be a tight game. I'll go with a 1-1 draw. I'll go
0: for a 2-1 win to Sunderland. Based off everything that I was just saying before, Mm -hmm. Sunderland are just flying. Um, And Norwich's away form is a cause for concern. This will be a great way to... You know, show that it's not as much of a concern for people as it should be, but because of their past form and Sunderland's just loving life, I'll go for a Sunderland win. Rotherham v Birmingham. Many people will be expecting this to be a relegation battle this season. Rotherham are unbeaten, just the one win on the board right now. How have you assessed them so far, Justin?
1: I've I've really liked Rotherham. They seem a lot more comfortable with themselves than Birmingham City do, for example. Um, And what I mean by that is, obviously, I think John Eustace is still going through the motions as to what his best side is. um, And he still doesn't have that strength in depth. Now, Rotherham are still adding to their squad, still linked with players, which again is is a huge, huge plus for for Paul Warren because they they do need to attract um, a high calibre of player if they're going to stay in the Championship. And that's that's proved very difficult for them. Um, But they've been... Very very solid. They've been sharp on the counter attack, and they've been exactly what you expect them to be under Paul one And that's a, a team that are very uncomfortable to play against. You go to that, um, you go to the Reading game last weekend, for example. Absolutely peppered them, and it wasn't just Joe Lowney's mistakes. You know, Rotherham dominated the game. They dominated the midfield. Every time Barlasser got the ball, you got the front um, the front line making runs in the channels. And the ball going into the channels, it was, it's, it's, it's like clockwork. It's, it's almost telekinetic in a, in a way that they just know what they're doing when they need to do it, um, and that's getting them results. And I, I, again, I, going into this game, I, I fancy them to get a result here against Birmingham.
0: Well, a couple of Birmingham's last three games will be a real cause for concern, won't they? They got a point at home to Watford, which was a good result, good performance too. But the loss to Cardiff was a really, really poor performance. And then most recently, they lost to a Wigan side who were down to 10 men for 80 minutes. So they were great for the first couple of games. And then two poor performances out of five isn't a bad ratio in fairness. But the warning signs have appeared, haven't they? That Wigan game was... It was a real real. It wasn't a real again, wasn't it, for um, them to actually get anything out of it. And even though Wigan were down to 10 m for so long and Birmingham dominated, at no point did I ever think, oh, we're going to really hang in on here. And that's a problem. And the same goes for the Cardiff game before, where Birmingham offered next to nothing going forwards. So that's why I think the warning signs were appearing. The striker situation has been... It's, an on, it's been an ongoing theme now, hasn't it, since last season where none of the strikers are in blistering form and the service is struggling a bit as well. They're relying a lot on Janino Bakuna, who is very hit and miss, isn't he? As hit and miss a player as he can be. So that's why Birmingham going forwards have had a lot of problems and rather than being such a resilient side, um, I just cannot see them creating much in terms of great opportunities and of course that leads to them struggling for goals a bit so
1: I'm siding more towards a Rotherham win here Justin um, can I get a score prediction from you? I'll, I'll go a tuna Rotherham as you say you, you've put in everything out that you needed to point out with Birmingham they're relying heavily on Pacuna, which is a is a heavy burden for a team that doesn't have too much else going forward in the way of personnel so I think Birmingham have struggled to, to create chances here and Rotherham will do, we'll do what they've done all season
0: Yeah, I'll go for a Rotherham 1-0 win. And then the final game we preview for the weekend, Justin, is Middlesbrough v Swansea. Middlesbrough technically bottom of the league, if we ignore Coventry, who are are there for obvious reasons. Yet to win a game and need to be heading into this, expecting to get three points, Chris Wilder's side, don't they?
1: Yeah, well, you've got two managers in this game who are in dire need of a win, dire need of three points. Um, But I think it's a game where I think it will finally click for Borough whatever way. I know I, I, I raised a few questions about whether they'd been found out or not, but I think this is the ideal game for them to, to come into because in some ways I do think Russell Martin is naive in that he just wants to push his philosophy out. doesn't matter who the opposition is, they'll play their philosophy, which is absolutely fantastic. You are going to develop players doing that, but I think you do need to tweak things a little bit and maybe they do from time to time. But I think Borough will be a lot happier without possession in this game they'll be a lot quicker at turning the ball over and a lot more clinical and aggressive at getting into that final third and getting balls across the box which, I, which is why I think it could be yeah a 3 or 4 niller for, for Borough because I just think it's you look at West Brom last weekend where it finally came together for them and then you've got Borough here where I think it can finally come together for them because they've been creating shed loads of chances just haven't been putting away so I'd be surprised if they don't do that here so I, I do think it could be 3 or 4 nil for Borough
0: well, the way they've been playing, they've got to win sooner or later, haven't they? They have simply got to get three points on the board soon. Um, because they they can't keep playing as well as they have been and not get a win sooner rather than later. Plus, they'll have all the new signings that they brought in, the likes of Rodrigo Muniz, Matt Clark is reportedly about to um, join at the time of recording. So, they'll have all these new players in and you'd have thought this could be the time that Middlesbrough finally click into action and get a massive massive win and we can't forget that Swansea haven't had a great start either can we just the one win so far converting possession into chances has been a massive issue and I don't see that getting any better against the Middlesbrough side who have been conceding a lot of goals um, in the first five games but at the same time it's a Chris Wilder team and I don't see that being a continuing theme as the season goes on so I'll go for a Middlesbrough win here Justin I won't go as far to say a 3 or 4 niler,
1: but I'll go for a solid 2 nil win for the borough I think it'll be a wake up call for Swansea I think that high line's going to hurt them so I do think it'll be I think it'll be
0: 3-1 interesting right Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about some of the news in the championship from the past few days Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast and now it's time for this. Yes, it is indeed time for the news. And Watford wing-back Hassan Kamara has been sold to sister club Udinese for a reported £16 million and immediately loaned back for the remainder of the season. Watford's owners have essentially paid themselves this money to help with Watford's cash flow. Justin Peach. A
1: bit uh, bit cheeky, bit naughty. Um, it's a glaringly obvious way of circumventing FFP. Uh a much more efficient way of doing it than selling stadiums to yourselves. Um, but also it's it it proves problematic for a lot of EFL clubs, um, mainly because it's, it's circumventing FFP. It's circumventing a restriction that is placed upon clubs to avoid them from overspending and gaining an advantage, which Watford are doing anyway by selling the players to their ownership group, which, as I say, It is a bit cheeky, it is a bit naughty. Um, But teams have been doing this for years. Forest have benefited from it. Um, Leicester City actually benefited from it in a a slightly different way where they took George Hurst from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, uh, He goes to a a Belgian club and Leicester don't have to pay any compensation to to Sheffield Wednesday. And now he's a Leicester City player. So, yeah, teams have been doing this for years. I I do think it's something that um, the authorities should clamp down on um, and yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It's frustrating for the rest of the clubs who maybe thought the EFL started to turn a corner when they started to re- restrict teams from selling stadiums to sales, and started to come tough on come down tough on sanctions on on teams overspending like Derby and Reading. Um, but unfortunately, again, there's been a, a big hole that's been highlighted that needs to be sorted quickly.
0: Well, I'm amazed that things like this are still allowed to happen because everyone knows this this is happening to get around financial rules. It's plain and obvious. It's clear to see, isn't it? It doesn't take a genius mm-hmm. to figure out what, what for are doing to get around the rules. In my eyes, it's just as bad as a club selling its stadium to its owner. But no one seems bothered about stopping this from happening. People were up in arms when, you know, clubs like Villa, Chef Wednesday, mm-hmm. Derby, etc. were selling their own stadiums to their owners to... Get, the, get around financial fair play. But when it's happening like this, no one seems to care for some reason. And I will point out Watford's owners aren't the only ones who have sold players to themselves. As you say, Justin Forrest have done similar, although not to this extent, where it's £16 million. Pounds. The whole thing stinks. And it gives Watford a big advantage in terms of financial rules. And there needs to be some sort of clampdown on this. I don't know how they clamp down on it. I don't know who's in charge of... Making sure that selling players to the owners themselves, um, I don't know how you can govern that. I don't know who's in charge of governing that, whether it's the EFL, whether it's FIFA, UEFA or whatever. But it can't be happening because it's just not fair for the other teams in the league who don't have wealthy enough owners to own multiple football clubs. So it's just amazing that there isn't more being done about this kind of thing. Um, let's stick to more footballing things. Watford have also signed Villa defender Courtney House on loan. Watford needed a centre-back, didn't they, Justin?
1: Yep, he's a good left-footed forward. Um, not played enough games for me to to properly judge him in his career, to be honest. Um, but I have liked what I've seen when he has been fit and firing. I know he had a, a spell of Villa games in the Premier League and he looked quite comfortable Um Physically, he's got every attribute you need. Um, he's a left-footed player as well, so he adds a lot of balance to that um, back three that Rob Edwards wants to deploy. I think it's a good signing, and and you know, frustrating that Fuller have held on to him for as long as they have because he's a player who's needed games, a bit like Keenan Davis, really. Um, but he's got his opportunity now, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, he fits in and 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 takes it.
0: Well, I think he's stepping down to more his level, isn't he? And I'm not sure that's. A good thing. As you say, he's only managed 44 league appearances in the past five years. So I'm not really too fussed about this move, if I'm being honest. It helps them tactically because they needed a left-sided centre-half. Is he a Premier League quality player? Because for me, Justin, when I think of teams who win promotion... It's got to have players in it who are ready to step up to the Premier League. And in my opinion, Courtney Hawes is a very good championship player. Mm -hmm. He's been a good backup in the Premier League, but it's quite obvious he wasn't going to get a game this season for Villa. And has never really had much of a chance at Villa at all, has he? And if that's the case, then you've got to assume he's not a Premier League player, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not really too bothered about this move, but... Watford needed the left-sided centre-half and they've got one in. Speaking of left-sided centre-halves, Matt Clark is set to join Middlesbrough in a permanent deal. It hasn't been confirmed at the time of recording, but I imagine it will be by the time this episode goes out. He joins from Brighton for a reported £2.5 million after loan spells at Derby and West Brom. Thoughts on this one, Justin?
1: For a player who's been so consistent at a championship level, um, and he's played in two, one really ordinary Derby team and one really crap one, and he's still stood out. And he's done well at West Brom as well. For a player who's been so consistent at Championship level, I don't know if somebody hasn't been given an opportunity at Premier League level with Brighton. Um, and now I know they've had Dan Byrne in the past and Kikurela. So that left-sided slot has been busy. But at least give him the chance. But that gives other Championship clubs an opportunity. And Borough are getting him for a really good price. A really, really good price. Because if he has two two good consistent seasons, he'll be worth... You know, ten fifteen million pounds because he's very good with the ball at his feet. He's surprisingly quick for someone who's his size and um, demeanour. He looks a slow person, but he's actually surprisingly quick. So you can play you can play a high line with him, and he's very dominant in the air as well. He's he's a really good all round defender, and he's left footed as well, which I think adds a bit of a, bit of a premium. I just don't know he hasn't been given a chance in the Premier League. It surprises me. Just
0: I could not agree more. I'm a huge fan of Matt Clark as a player, a huge fan. He's a brilliant defender, reads the game well, and is more than happy to head bricks. But he's also capable with the ball at his feet. Could be a bit better, but it's still very, very good. Um, And plus, as you say, he's a left-sided centre-half. And at this level, left-sided centre-halves are quite difficult to come by, especially when they're as talented as he is. But he's one player of the season in two of his last three seasons at Derby and West Brom, respectively, being quite honest, I am completely the same as you. I'm surprised he hasn't had more of a go at Brighton. I know they've got a very good standard of centre-half there, but I don't think he could have done much more in the last couple of years. And people may say, well, Brighton centre-halves are all about being good with the ball at their feet. They're playing Dan Burn not too long ago. So, Matt Clark is a better ball player than Dan Byrne is. And really, I don't think he's far off in terms of actual defensive ability. I think the bottom line is, just it: two and a half from... £2.5 for a lad of his talent at the age of 25 is an unbelievable deal. And I can see people looking back on this deal in two or three years' time and saying, what a move that was. Because a sensational player still got his prime years ahead of him. Left-sided centre-half as well. I think this could be a really, really brilliant bit of business for Borough. And what does this mean for Borough now, Justin? Could it be significant because Chris Wilder's been desperately trying to get in at left-sided centre-half. It's been one of the priorities at the top of his shopping list and he can tick it off now. In fact, his shopping list is nearly complete at this point, isn't it? He wants another striker. Emil Jacobson Jakobsen from Preston is the one they've been strongly linked with. Do you feel that once they've got that extra front man in, whoever it would be, there isn't much left in terms of obvious weaknesses when you look at this Borough team on paper?
1: Yeah, on paper, I think it's it's looking pretty good. Perhaps I would add another midfielder in there just to replace Tavernier's departure. Um, that's the only that's the only place I would I would maybe strengthen and bring in maybe a loan signing might might help. But then again, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Matt Clark comes in, another uh, number nine comes in, and then I wouldn't be surprised if maybe two signings on loan from Premier League clubs or another Championship club comes in just to bolster. Different areas on the pitch, maybe a couple of versatile players as well. But on paper, i really really like in the balance of the team. Liked it back at the start of the season as well. So, yeah, it's looking even better now. Yeah, for some reason, I just can't
0: stop the feeling that I'm getting echoes of Forrest from last season with this Borough <laughs> team. Because I remember when they first started the season under Chris Houghton and they had holes in the starting 11, didn't they? And then suddenly they brought in the likes of, you know, Jed Spence, Max mm-hmm. Lowe... And suddenly, you were looking at that team on paper and thinking, there isn't much wrong with that team. There aren't many obvious weaknesses. Obviously, it helped when they brought in Steve Cooper as well. But once you have all these players together, it can just click like it did with Forrest. And mm-hmm. maybe that's what we're seeing with Boer. We'll have to wait and see. Hull have recruited midfielder Mahand Salah-Addin on loan from Arsenal. The 19-year-old joins for the season and Hull have the option to buy him. Apparently very highly rated at Arsenal, Justin. Jack Walsh highlighted him back in March as one of the best prospects at the club. And the only thing I've seen about him on social media so far is that people have been saying it's what happens when Mo Salah stands on your foot. Mahan Salah. Um, but I, I'm guessing he'll slot into the number 10 spot for Middlesbrough, which has been filled by Ozan fans so far, whether that's going to be his permanent role, I'm not too sure whether he's just there to add competition, I'm not too sure but you can never go amiss with having as many midfield options as possible, can you?
1: Yeah, exactly Um, and obviously if he's a a highly rated prospect, um, it just adds to the value of the squad as well, we mentioned last weekend, in a a weekend uh, episode that the signing of Jacob Greaves is is a massive statement of the project and if you bring in in someone like um, uh, what is it, Al Mahan, Al Mahan Salah? Mahan Salah <laughs> not Al Mahan Salah, Mahan Salah Madine. Okay, um, if you're bringing in someone who, yeah, is is a young prospect, and because obviously you've got the likes of Keen Lewis Potter who's had to depart, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good building building plot for the future as well. So, yeah, Hull are in good hands at the moment, and um, yeah, really excited for what comes what comes next for them.
0: Well, it's interesting that Hull have got the option to buy him which for me would indicate that Arsenal aren't that fussed about him as a future prospect. But, you know, he's been earning rave reviews so he must be a talented player meanwhile Malik Wilkes has left Hall to go to Sheffield Wednesday on a permanent deal Rotherham have brought in Arsenal defender Brooke Norton Cuffey on loan the 18 year old is a right back played for Lincoln last season and also featured for England at the under 19 Euros earlier in the summer away from the confirmed deals and the final bit of news is that Ben Brereton Diaz has no intention of signing a new deal at Blackburn according to Sky Sports the forward is out of contract at the end of the season as he looks to be trying to force a move away Justin
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's unsurprising, really. Um, and look, if, if he still puts in 100% until the end of the season, then absolutely fair enough. Um, but if Blackburn had chances to sell him in January and this summer, then they should have taken it. I think I, I can't remember when I said it. it. may have been back in between sort of May-July time. But if a bid came in, I was saying they should, they should sell up because you're not going to get that sort of fee for a player who's in, his, in the last year of his contract. Yes, they they may have shot themselves in the foot slightly, but at the same time, you've got a player in his peak powers at the moment, um, who's at the top of his value, um, and yeah, you need to you need to you need to sell. But at the end of the day, it's too late for them to bring in a replacement, so they've got to they've got to manage the situation with with um, with Brighton Diaz because if it goes if it does go sour, they're they're very short of options in the final third.
0: Well, I've seen a lot of Blackburn fans who are disappointed about this news, but they should only be disappointed with the owners, really, shouldn't they, for not Mm -hmm. sorting out a new contract ages ago. The the ideal time to do it was last summer. Now, I know it's easy to say that in hindsight after he's just had the season of his life, but at the time, he only had a year left with the option for an extra year. And when you consider they paid so much money for him initially, it's a bit daft, really, that they didn't give him a new deal at the time. So you can't be upset about about a player wanting to play at the top level because he knows it's going to be very unlikely that that's going to happen with Blackburn. So this is his chance to make that happen by getting a move this summer. Otherwise, Blackburn are just going to have to lose him for a free, won't they? One question, I suppose, is how much do you think a fair asking price is for Ben Brarity and
1: Diaz-Justin? It's always difficult to say when players do enter the last year of their contract because in January he can speak to clubs abroad and they're losing for free. So if you're gonna say if you're gonna get a bid for him now, you're looking in the region of seven to eight million pounds. He's worth more than that, obviously, but just because of his contract running running down, Platburn haven't got a strong hand here. the same thing happened with Adam Armstrong, didn't have a strong hand with him. And you quote yourself twenty million pounds was probably worth that last summer. Well actually it was probably worth that more more so in January. But now seven to eight million pounds is probably the max bid um a team would be willing to pay.
0: Well that's it in it? clubs in the Premier League or even abroad will be looking at this thinking, well we don't have to pay as much for this guy because he is in the final year of his contract. I've seen some online saying that Blackburn are apparently asking for 30 million. I'm not sure if that's actual fact or whether that's just fans saying, right, this is how much you're going to pay. But that's just a bonkers amount when they could lose him for nothing in the summer. So I think the most I'd pay if I was a Premier League club would be 10 million. Um whether Blackburn are fortunate to get that much, I'm not too sure because as we say, it's either cash in on him now or get absolutely nothing for him next summer. So it's a tricky position for Blackburn to be in, and the backs up are up against the wall, but I'll be surprised if Blackburn do get anything more than £10 million for him. Um, just because, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we said, the backs are up against the wall, aren't they? All right, now it's time for this, Justin. Diddy? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy. Or didn't he? This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the Championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them and we take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week it's my turn to guess and Justin to provide the players. The score is 12-5 to my colleague and it's my chance to get things back level. So Justin, can you give me the first player please? Mikel... Oh, I always get his name
1: wrong. This is a really good start.
0: Mikel Littlewood.
1: Yes. Um, I'm
0: glad you said it because I can't pronounce his name either. Uh, yeah. well, what's the club? And, and his team. <laughs> and the team. And Sheffield United. Um, I, I think he did play for Sheffield
1: United. You going with that? Yeah. He did play for Sheffield United. Yeah. 26 appearances yeah, I... in 6 07 in the Premier League.
0: Yeah. I... I... Remembered that because, obviously, we do the random footballer on Twitter, don't we? And that means every so often I have to look at these players. Um, next one, please, Justin. Lee Trundle and Preston North End. Also, yes, I think I, I think I looked at Lee Trundle randomly on Wikipedia
1: last week. And for some reason, Preston is sticking out for me. Well, Bristol City and Swansea, the obvious ones. Are you sure, are you sure with this one? Yeah, yeah. He did make one appearance in 2012-2013, straight (inaudible) off the back of uh, a spell in the Welsh Premier League, which I find really weird. Yeah, because
0: he was, I remember him going to the Welsh Premier League, absolutely tearing it up. And that meant clubs were like, oh, maybe this guy isn't done yet. Uh, Turns out he was. (laughs) Next one, please,
1: Justin. (laughs) James Vaughan and Blackburn.
0: Oh, James Vaughan has had some clubs in his career. Um, hmm.
1: Not a lot of loan spells. Yeah.
0: I am edging more towards no.
1: But that was a pause.
0: Oh, God, this is a really tricky one, this. Yeah. <laughs> I am... I'll go with Oh Jesus. Come on. Gut instinct. Gut instinct. Come on. No. You're correct, he did not play for Blackburn. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason I could picture him in a Blackburn shirt. I don't know why. Maybe it was yeah, because the...
1: he seems to have played for a lot of clubs wearing blue and white. Yeah, that's that's the angle I was going for. Uh next one is Sammy Obiobi and Middlesbrough. Sammy Obi. Yeah. Yeah, he was there like last year, wasn't he?
0: But did he make an appearance? Oh, don't start doing this. This is Justin Peach taking the sportsmanship of this sacred game that has been played for eons and months (laughs) and throwing it in the bin and pissing on it. Um,
1: I don't know if he played or not, but he was definitely there. A lot of fans put him down as one of the worst signings in the history.
0: I want to make it perfectly clear that I would never include a player who's gone to a club and didn't make an appearance for them because I respect did he or didn't he. Um, But I'll go with no, I don't think he did make an appearance. He made nine appearances 2013
1: on loan from Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Oh, God. So three out of four for me so far,
0: Justin. (laughs) Greg Halford in Sunderland. He was definitely there. Don't know if he made an appearance or not. I'm going to say he did. He did. He made eight appearances in 2007. Yeah. You're flying. I read a story about that particular move that I cannot say on air, but I have read stories about that. Um, So four out of five for me
1: so far, Justin. It's going quite well. It is. It's annoyingly well. Um, I'm going to have to maybe mix up my list and try and get in your head a little bit. Ooh, ooh. Matt Mills and Wigan Athletic. No, because
0: you're talking. Oh, to me. Yeah, you're asking me Justin about did. a player who I interviewed <laughs> like last year. So I remember his career very well. Yeah, I shot myself in the foot. Yeah, he didn't play for Wigan. No, he didn't. So that's five out of six. This is going disastrously for Justin
1: Peach so far. Yeah, now I'm in my own head. No, no, <laughs> this is not not a good place to be. Uh, Darren Moore in Birmingham City. Surely not. He's a West Brom legend. He is a West Brom legend, but he played for quite a few clubs towards the end of his career.
0: If you're saying it's towards the end of his career, then I'm certain he didn't, because I think he went from Derby to Barnsley to Burton. I don't recall him playing. I was wondering if he played for Birmingham... Before West Brom. So I'm going to say no.
1: You are correct. Play for Bradford. Six out of seven. This is this is going very well. James Chester and Cardiff City. James Chester comes up a lot on this game, doesn't he? Yeah. That, I, think, I think we <laughs> have had him recently.
0: I'm going to say no. Yes, you're right. I'm going to I'm going to, draw. I'm going to guess from that sigh that I am correct. Seven out of eight. Shane Duffy and Burnley. Shane Duffy and Burnley. I mean, the boot fits, um, but I can't picture him in a Burnley shirt. So, you
1: wait. I'm. I'm saying no. He didn't play for Burnley. You're saying no. You're incorrect. He made one appearance in 2012. Oh, God's sake.
0: So that means it's seven out of nine. One remaining and I can go ahead. DJ Campbell and Millwall. DJ Campbell's... Jesus. He's had a few spells. Um, I... Don't think so. Hang on.
1: I'm going to say, oh, God, gut instinct, no. You're incorrect. He had a loan spell in 2014, scored twice in nine. Had a lot of spells in London. My gut has let me down when it's so often
0: been right for me. (laughs) So there we are. It means it's 12 all now for the season. Me and Justin have levelled up After the first two full rounds of game weeks. So here we are, did he or didn't he? Very tight at the start of the season. Justin, are you disappointed with how that game went for you?
1: Yeah, I thought there was some because the Lee Trundle one I thought would stump you and I thought it was a good place to sort of get it in early. But I got it from Wikipedia on Twitter. I I saw that and I was like, okay. And I imagine Mm. you saw the same thing. I'm quite disappointed in myself now. Maybe I should have left it a couple of weeks because that is a spell that. no one should, no one remembers. I don't think anybody remembers that.
0: You did me over with the Sammy Amiobi one because you psyched me out of it when really I should have got that one uh, because I knew he, be, I, he was at Middlesbrough last season or might even be there now, actually. But um, whatever the case, he he was definitely there, but I didn't realise he had a loan spell before. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Diddy or didn't he, and that's been the second tier podcast for midweek. By the way, if you have any suggestions for Diddy or didn't he, me and Justin won't um turn them down if you send them to us no, in our they're dms they're, they're very difficult to come across so <laughs> if you do have any uh, let us know by all means but there we go ladies and gentlemen second tier podcast wrapped up for midweek we'll be back again on sunday to go through all the championship games coming up this weekend and also talk about some of the news from the past few days as well so this has been the second tier podcast back again on sunday i've been ryan dilks i've been Justin peach and a big thank you for listening